Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. This is episode nine. I am your host, Delton, and with me this evening is my yellow player, Haley. Hi there. So this is a podcast all about tabletop games, board games, card games, RPGs here and there, which we haven't got to yet, but we will. And that's what we like to talk about. And on this show, we also like to drink beer. Now tonight, Haley has something very sad to tell you. I'm not drinking. She went, <laughs> she went out for a friend's birthday party last night. So she's not really in the mood to have anything to drink tonight. So I am taking over and just having one beer with the episode. Because it is a Sunday night. We pushed our recording from Thursday to Sunday. So I will have one beer this evening. But she's drinking a nice hot tea. Okay, so I survived seven years of college. So I can handle drinking multiple times in the same week. It's just that on Friday night, we went out for sushi for Mackenzie's birthday. And we split a bottle of sake, which was great, but also caused me to fall asleep halfway through Black Panther. And then Saturday morning, everything was hunky-dory and great. And then my friends come in from Tulsa and they say, hey, let's go to the bar tonight. Have a girl's night. Needless to say, we ordered a lift. And so I had permission to drinky drink again. So this morning I woke up. Still a functioning human being, still wrote my Ogle article, still went to the grocery store, still got my laundry done, but I, I ain't about to have a, have a Guinness this, right now. So tonight, with Haley not drinking, like I said, I'm having one single beer. I am going to be drinking, it's a local company, again, Anthem. We've had them multiple times now, it's our favorite. They're Ouroboros Stout. This is a 8.5 alcohol by volume, just a 12-ounce can. Aphotic, robust, arcane. It says stout, a style continually renewing itself in new forms and reborn here as a Belgian-inspired creation. Roasted and chocolate malts, dark candy sugar, oak spirals, and Belgian yeast circle in harmonious union. It says to serve at 52 degrees Fahrenheit, which a lot of people always overchill their beer. The prime drinking temp, I believe, is between 48 and 52 degrees. And it's just really good. It always helps open up the beer, get some more flavor. This one says it pairs well with hummus, grass-fed beef, aged cheddar, and dark chocolate. This beer is fantastic with dark chocolate. Now, tonight, I'm not really in the mood to drink it with any dark chocolate. But, take our word for it, it is delicious paired together. It is very good, and I like this beer with pretty much anything. And again, just delicious. I love Anthem. They are our favorite. See, if I drink a stout, I think I have to have that first in the evening. Like, I can't, I can't have, like, an IPA and then have a stout for some reason. I have to have the stout first, and then I can drink anything. But if I have a stout after anything else, then I don't know. It just messes with me. I, I don't like it as much. I think I have to have a pure palate for the stout. Yeah, you either have to drink everything, then cleanse your mouth by drinking, like, a whole thing of water, and then have the stout, or, you know, stout first, cleanse, and then another beer. But stouts usually do kind of... Uh, uh, what's the word? Like command your palate. They kind of take it over. Um, I, my my <laughs> my definition book is lacking in this in this uh moment. I do like that phrase, command your palate. That's exactly what a stout does. Not only does it look black as night when you pour it into a glass, but whenever you pour it onto your tongue or whatever you do when you drink, I guess you yeah yeah yeah. Then it really does command the palate. Where like you know a wheat beer might pair well with something. A stout really accentuates it. Exactly. It just kind of takes over and makes itself known. 
It's like, uh, it's kind of like having a, I don't know, a big dinner with a very dominant part of it. So you have your entree, let's say it's like steak and some potatoes. No matter how many of those potatoes you eat, that steak is still going to be tasting in your mouth before or after. And that's kind of how a stout is. No matter what you have with it, the flavor of that stout is always going to be there. It's like a really aggressive uncle at a dinner party or something. You can't get rid of it even though you kind of like it? Yeah. Yep. It's like my uncles, they have different political ideology as I do. And every time I go to a family function and they're there, they're my main focus for the entire evening. Like you just, just because it's a huge argument all night? Huge argument all night long. But that's what the stout is. It like, you want it there, but it's still, you, you know it's there when it's there. <laughs> yep, I understand completely. But again, really good. Anthem Ouroboros Stout. Check it out if you have a chance to get it here in Oklahoma. Aside from that, Haley's drinking hot tea. What kind of tea is it? It is a spearmint tea. Looks like from Tezo or Tazo or Tazo, however you pronounce it, from Target. It's caffeine-free because I'm an old lady. Yeah, we tend to drink caffeine-free tea in the evening so we can sleep, but it gives us that nice warm tea kind of a, I don't know, is it a mood it puts you in when you drink tea? Is that kind of it? We just feel fancy and relaxed. Well, what I do is I actually plan out my tea during the day. So in the morning, I drink coffee. I don't drink coffee after 10. Throughout the day, I drink a lightly caffeinated tea. By the time 5 o'clock rolls around, I switch to peppermint tea. And then right before I go to bed, I like to switch to cinnamon tea. Anytime I drink cinnamon tea, my brain shuts down. I, kind of, I have it planned as well so that I never do any work while I'm drinking my cinnamon tea. Because I want it to be my brain whenever I drink that cinnamon tea. That is my brain's cue to wind down. That makes sense. Psychology tricks. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the uh, chewing different flavors of gum when you study. And then when you take the test, chew the same flavor as what you studied with in that subject. Oh, C- yeah. Kind of the same thing. You associate this flavor and smell with those things, and it helps put your brain in that mode. Right. And that's exactly what I would use to tell people whenever I was a tutor. I used to tutor at Oklahoma State whenever I was an undergrad. And I would tell the people I tutored, you know, literally, whenever you are studying political science, chew like big red. Whenever you're studying biology, chew juicy fruit. And then whenever you go into that classroom, chew that gum. Whenever you take that test, chew that gum. Only chew that gum then. It puts you in that state. I mean, they did a study, and this was, I thought this was a joke whenever I first heard about it. It was my freshman year of college. Those who studied drunk performed better whenever they took the test drunk. Now, those who studied and took the test sober did a lot better than those who studied drunk and took the test drunk. But if the person studied drunk and took the test sober, they did worse than the person who studied drunk and took the test drunk because it's that state dependency. Yeah, you're, you get in that state of mind and your body kind of remembers what it was doing and just puts you in that moment, in that, uh, in that position. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so we've talked a lot about this kind of crap. It's already like way too long into the podcast. So let's talk about a couple games before we go into the main game of the show, though. We finally received our Rising Sun Kickstarter. So if you don't know, Rising Sun is the newest game from Eric Lang. He is the designer of a game called Blood Rage. It is put out through Simon, Cool Mini or Not. And this was the big Kickstarter last year in April. It got put out early, which was really nice. Ours came in, all except for the playmat, which is shipping separately because of the tube that it's being shipped in was too big to fit in the box. So they shipped it separate and I'm still waiting on it. We got to play the game this weekend with Brian. He put his heavyweight championship title belt on the line and retained it with rising sun me and Haley could not bring down the champion but it was a very fun game we actually really liked it 
And I beat Delton. Haley also beat me. I was in last, which is, you know, that's kind of par for the course around here. I'm always coming in last, which sucks. But it was a really fun game. I'm glad we got it in. Um, if you follow us on social media, you'll see I posted some pictures of it and I kind of led up to the game day. I only had one picture from game day, and I think it was because I was so into just playing, I forgot. I took a picture, was like, oh, I'll get some more of the board later, and then just completely spaced on it, which stinks. But, you know, I do have an unboxing video I'm trying to get around to put out. We'll see if that works. I've got to do some more recording and then a lot of editing. It'll be my first big video editing project, so we'll see how that goes. I had a lot of fun playing Rising Sun. I mean, I was really prepared to be staying down at that table for a good three hours and have this overly complicated game. Not that overly complicated is bad, but really whenever we sat down to play it, I know that we are experienced board gamers, so that gives us a leg up, but it really wasn't that complicated. No, it's really not. Like, the big thing with it is it is a 26-page rule book. Now, I think the rule book's actually like 28 or 9, but 26 of it are actual rules along with depictions of the board telling you what every piece is it's really not that bad to play. It uses action selection mechanic, similar to like Puerto Rico, Race for the Galaxy, stuff like that. And then it has a bidding system for the combat, which was awesome. There's no dice rolling. There's no flipping over cards. There's no, I mean, there's nothing random about that. It's bidding. It's you dedicate so much money to try and influence and use a special action in that territory on the board to get your guy to win. And so it was really nice to be able to plan it and kind of bluff it. And then the game's built on alliances. And so it was just really, really cool. Yeah, it's kind of like Akuza, if you've ever played that. The whole bidding part in order to take whatever actions you're wanting to take. It also has a similar theme, too. Yes, for sure, except Akuza sucks because it's basically Risk, where Rising Sun is much better. Much, much better. God, we sat down and we played that game for four hours and we still weren't done. We were like halfway through. But here's, here's the difference between that and Twilight Imperium. Yeah, you're playing for four to eight hours, but you're actually having fun with Twilight Imperium. <laughs> it's so true, though, because unless you like rolling dice and rolling some more dice and rolling some more dice, if you like that, yeah, sure, Akuza's fine. But if you don't like rolling dice for six hours to finish a game, Twilight Imperium is the long game to play. The Ukraine is weak! The Ukraine is weak. Well, I guess we can go into the game of the episode now. We talked some about Rising Sun, which is not our game of the episode, but... Surprise! Yeah, surprise. Uh, I guess we'll go to the transition, and then we will start off with that game. Oh, here's the door. Uh, uh. It's straight ahead. It's... it's a game. So the game for this episode is one that I bought for me to play with Haley. It is a game called Paperback. Now, Paperback is designed by Tim Fowers, with illustrations by Ryan Goldsberry and it is self-published by Tim Fowers and Tim Fowers Games. So, Paperback is a deck-building game. For those of you who do not know, a deck-building game is a game in which you have a small deck of cards, usually 10, sometimes 12, and on your turn, you will draw usually anywhere from 5 to 6 with those two numbers. If it's a 10-card deck, you usually draw half of it at 5, and then if it's a 12-card deck, you usually draw 6, so it's usually half of that deck. What you do is the cards in your hand, in some manner, you will use them, to buy more cards to make your deck better and have more cards in your deck. So in this case, Paperback is a word game. So your initial starting deck of 10 cards has five wilds and it has five other cards, which is R, S, T, L, and N. What you do, along with the common letter that's out that everybody can use, you make a word. 
So with R, S, T, L, N, and five wilds, you can make a word like, shoot, I don't know, rent. You could do rent with some wild cards. Stoner. Yeah, you can do all kinds of stuff. Just any word you can think of at the time with the, the five cards you draw from that deck of ten. Then what you do is when you play those cards down, you make your word. The non-wild cards you use to make that word give you purchase power. And you use that purchase power to buy more letters off of the board. So you can buy a letter that's a double. It's actually an ES. Then you can make a word that ends in ES and not have to use two cards to make that ES. It's just one. And you basically go about making bigger and bigger words or harder to spell words using different cards to buy more letters to finally be able to buy cards that are worth points at the end of the game. And then once two of the stacks of the four point cards are out, the game's over and the highest points win. So it's really not a hard game to play. You basically draw some cards, make a word with those letters to get more letters until you can afford to buy cards worth points. And that's pretty much how the game plays aside from the optional add-ins in the rulebook. I want to tell you how we got this game and why we got this game. So Delton had been looking at it for a while. Uh, it was only being sold by Tim, was it Tim Fowler's website? Yep. And so it was a little bit expensive for what we were looking at at the moment. But he looked at it for a long time, talked about how it was like a word game, how much we like word games, da 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 da, da. Well, one night I was in the mood for a word game. And so we have this old 1939 version of Scrabble. It's 50s. 1950s? Oh. Yep. Anyway, it was before Hasbro bought it. Like, it, it has the, the rule book and everything is from the original board game company. And so I was like, I want to play a word game. And Elton's like, I don't want to play Scrabble because I suck. And I was like, but I want to play Scrabble. I want to play a word game. So we sat down to play Scrabble. And I think it was my third or fourth turn whenever I got QI on the triple word score. And Delton threatened divorce. And the next day, bought the paperback game. Yes, I was lucky enough to go on to the Board Game Geek forums. They're, they have a hot deals section of the forums where people post sales. And somebody on there said, hey, I bought something from Tim Fowler's website. It gave me a 15% off code. Here's the code for the first person that wants to use it. So somebody used it and commented and said, hey, I used it. After my order, it gave me this code. So I was number 170 something in line of people just buying with a code and then posting the code that they received from their order. So everyone's just helping each other out. And I purchased it immediately because the best part about it being a deck builder where you have to draw cards to build words is people like Haley with a larger vocabulary don't necessarily have the advantage. It's also in what cards you buy, what cards come up at the moment, and how you build the words. It's just, it's really neat because a larger vocabulary, while yes, it will help you, it doesn't mean you're going to win. And that's probably my favorite thing about it versus Scrabble. Given, yes, Scrabble has seven tiles, you could almost see as cards, but you're always playing off of more that are on the board. So in the beginning, it, it's, it really depends on what's the first word you can make. But after a little while, you have so many places on the board to play that it makes your word options even larger. And for someone with a lower vocabulary or somebody that doesn't have an easy time seeing words, it's very difficult to get. Where in paperback, it's only ever five cards unless you have cards that allow you to draw more. So it really does help people that aren't good at word games be able to win. It balances out. Yeah, I really do feel like it leveled it out quite a bit. You know, I grew up playing Scrabble, so I, I feel like I have a kind of a leg up. I don't know if I necessarily have a larger vocabulary. I mean, your dictionary you, you, book is pretty, pretty big. My definition book? Definition book. You have a master's degree in psychology. You have a higher vocabulary than I do. You're a psychology. You shut it. 
But yes, it does. It helps balance out the game. And we have really enjoyed it a lot. Um, the box that it comes in is awesome because if you stand it up on its side, it looks like three books. So you could put it on a bookshelf and no one could tell, like unless they really paid attention. But it's really neat. The artwork from Ryald Goldsberry, Ryan Goldsberry, not Ryald. What the hell what kind of name is Ryald? Please don't name your child that people out there. And if you have a child named that, shame on you. Don't get riled up, Delton. Uh, anyway, he did a great job with the illustrations. The It's really neat. It's based around you're writing a novel and your character, the character writing is supposedly named Paige Turner. Hee <laughs> hee, Paige Turner. Hee <laughs> hee. But it's really good. His illustrations are good. The way the cards are designed are easy to read. I really like the graphic design and color palette he used. Like the whole thing just really has a nice look to it. The artwork is based off those 1950s 30 cent novels, mm -hmm. like those little maybe 90 to 100 page books that you would buy. They're basically like little soap operas or short little reads that people picked up like in the grocery stores or whatnot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I could see where that style comes from that. Yeah, Half Price Books has a whole selection of them. You still see on the corners there's 30 cents or 15 cents for this book. And people will just like push them out like crazy. It might be the same author um, or it might be the same pseudonym and like multiple different authors writing under it, but they all had like the same style. They'd all be different characters. And sometimes it's kind of like the Nancy Drew. Like it was the same author, quote unquote, but it's different authors writing under that author's pseudonym. And they all have the same style and that's why they progressed over decades and whatnot. That makes sense. That's really neat. I didn't really think about that. We didn't make a trip to Half Price Books now. Are you going to buy me something? I'll buy you a 30-cent page-turner novel. Boo. Boo. I'd rather play paperback and win again like I did just the other day. I'm still salty about that time we tried to play with, what was it, you, me, and Kyle? And then you guys didn't believe me that Rondo was a word? Yeah, this isn't an early episode, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm still salty about it, though. I don't care if it was the first episode or if it was eight years ago. I'm still salty. That's okay. You can be. Paperback is very good. We always highly recommend it to people that like word games or any kind of game similar. And be, like I said, being a deck builder, it's very fun. I will recommend sleeving the cards. We had some leftover sleeves that were uh, clear on the front and back, and that really helps protect the cards. And luckily, they all fit in the box it comes in just fine. So that was really nice. And the box is full of dividers and all kinds of stuff. And so it really makes it an easy to get out and put up game. Don't let your cards be a meathead. Put them in sleeves. A meathead? Yeah, you know, like a meathead at the gym never wears sleeves in a shirt. Oh, uh, that makes sense. I For some reason, I thought you were making like a sausage joke, how you put sausage in sleeves and they, that's like the skin of the, I'm confused. <laughs> I was thinking more like a Cullen. Yeah, sorry, Cullen, if you ever listen to this. You're kind of a meathead, but you're not. It's just that you cut all your sleeves off, but you cut them all the way down the side, and I never understood. It, like, cuts off above the shoulder and goes all the way down to, like, the pant line. And it's so weird. And, I, I mean, I guess you have more movement, but is it really necessary? Really? You should start wearing all your shirts like that. No, I'm not ruining my good shirts. I'll buy you new ones. Do you really want to pay for these? They're, like, all my wrestling shirts are, like, 25 bucks a piece. I never said the wrestling shirts. That's a good point. You didn't, but I assumed you would want to cut those up. It's fine. Anyway, paperback. Highly recommend it. Check it out. I think it's timfowersgames.com or something. If you just Google paperback game, it's one of the top search results and you can go in and order it. It's not very expensive. It's like under $30, I think. PB&J Games had it the other day. I was surprised. That's the first time I've seen it in store. Yes, our local shop, PB&J Games down the road at 2nd and Western, or I guess it's Edmond Road and Western. 
or maybe it's 178th and Western. I forget what that road's called out there. Is it 178th? Once, yes, 178th. Yeah, I can't remember. I anyway, know. it's at Western over by Sushi Bar and Ralph's Pharmacy. They have paperback. Tim Fowers also does Burgle Bros about robbing a bank, and he also does a two-player game called Fugitive that is a cat and mouse two-player. He has hardback too, right? He also has hardback that takes the paperback playstyle and model and alters it a little bit to make it a different game. So apparently it's different enough that you can have both of them and get different experiences playing them. So I really want to see what it's like, but I really like paperback, so I don't know. I want to get the expansion to paperback sometime. So now that we finished paperback, we wanted to go into the topic of the episode. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So for the topic of this episode, paperback fits in perfectly. It is what games are cat friendly. We have a problem of we have two cats, one of which is very dumb. And they like to get up on the table and mess up our board games from time to time, especially if you have to walk away for any reason. So we wanted to bring up games that we thought were cat friendly because you could get up and walk away from the table if you had to, and they're not going to be able to mess it up much at all, if at all. So paperback fits in perfectly because in paperback, the only thing you have to worry with are the couple small decks of cards. There's like, I think, eight or nine that are just set up on the table. So if they knock one of those decks over, you just kind of put it back together. There's no pieces that have to stay in place. There's no complicated board with, you know, soldiers on it or anything like that. So it makes it nice because you can get up and if the cat gets up there and knocks a couple over or lays on it, it's pretty simple to put back together, especially since all the cards are colored differently. So the cards that cost two cents versus three cents versus four cents are all different colors. So it's a nice cat-friendly game. We can get up, walk away from it. Not a big deal. So we wanted to think, what's some more cat-friendly games for those of you cat owners out there? Because we know a lot of board gamers are cat owners. One of us. So Haley, what's some you can think of looking at the shelves now? Really, I think Cat Lady is a good one. I think because it, any, really anything that is card-based. Because with Cat Lady, you have your cats laying out in front of you. If the cat gets up there and lays on your cards, you can just pick up the cat and move. Unlike something like, let's say, Santorini. You have all of these buildings that you're constructing. You are stacking little plastic pieces to make these, what would you call those? It's, it's the island of Santorini in Greece. It's the white buildings with the blue dome tops. That's basically what you're creating. And yes. can you imagine trying to create that and then a cat jumping up there and just knocking it down like I, Penny would? I mean, it would ruin the game. You would have to start over, which luckily that game's fast, but yes, that would be bad. But really, any card-based game like Cat Lady, the cat's just going to jump up there and lay on your cards, like lay on your grid. So all you have to do is remove cat, extract the cat from the table, and bam, you're good. Yeah, Cat Lady would not be bad. The only thing I'd, I think you'd have to worry about, though, are the food tokens that you've put on your cats. That's the only thing. However, I read something on Twitter that blew my mind. What? AEG, who put out Cat Lady, were answering questions about Cat Lady. You can move the food that you put on the cats. But once it's been on a cat, it can't come off. It has to go into another cat if you move it. Oh. So I think we've been doing that wrong. It still sounded wrong, though, when they said that, but I'm going to have to look. But I'm pretty sure that you can now, like, that that's part of it, that we can move that food. So if you feed one cat, I think we talked about this in the Christmas episode. If you feed one cat two blues and a white, and then another cat comes that you really want to feed that takes one blue, you can move one over and have another cat that's partially fed. So that's good to know. 
officially. That helps us out. That really does. That's a good choice. Now, here's my counter to card games being good. It matters when the card games have an orientation that matters. So games like Imperial Settlers, where your cards actually hold your resources. Or, um, well, I guess that's the only one I can think of, really, with cards. That one matters with the way the cards are set up. Uh, Smash Up, maybe? A little bit? But aside from that, I guess that's it. But there might be a couple here and there that do matter where the cards are. But aside from that, yeah, card games are going to be the easiest. Do you have any others that you can spot? I have a lot that would be terrible to play with the cats. Yeah, that's the easy thing to point out, isn't it? Right. I was just thinking, like, something like Sagrada would be the absolute worst. Can you imagine the torture you would go through if you had a one-way mirror and you set up this game and you were this close to winning and you had to watch as three cats were let out into the room? Yeah, that would be terrible. All the dice would go everywhere. They'd knock your dice out of your little window. Ugh, that'd be so bad. That would be bad. And the problem is, too, we have quite a few Euro games that have a lot of pieces and stuff. Like, Keyflower would be terrible. Anything that's tile-laying, though, like Carcassonne, would be bad. Isle of Sky would be bad. Any of those would not be something you would want to put down. Puerto Rico would be terrible. Twilight Struggle, especially. (laughs) Yeah. Or like Agricola, A Feast for Odin. Ugh, that'd be just atrocious. I guess you could say any RPG. Yeah. Pen and paper, because I mean, that's, that's true. They might knock your dice off the table and you want to find that, but that wouldn't be too bad. Sentry Golems wouldn't be terrible either. You just have to worry about your little uh, jewels or what are they called? Yeah, the gems in that gems, one. Gems, yeah. Gems or jewels, whatever they're called in the game. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that could be, that could be a pretty good one then. Because even if they knocked them around, you would likely know what you had or they probably wouldn't go too far off your board. So that's not a bad one. Now I have a question for you. Go ahead. Based on the cat's personalities, what game do you think they would play if they were human? This is the question of the episode. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special bite-sized question. All right, so do you want me to do both cats, Steve and Penny, or just one of them? You do Steve, I'll do Penny. Okay, so go ahead and do Penny if you have one in mind while I take a little bit longer to look. So, Penny is a very sweet cat. I love her very much. I love all my children very much, my fuzzy children. But she's very sweet, but she's also very mischievous. So, she will open up cabinets, she'll open up drawers and hide inside of them, and she'll try her best to get into the places where she doesn't belong, and she'll attack your foot every once in a while and bite the living crap out of it. But you can't really do anything because she's so darn cute, right? She also is cute in herself. And she likes to climb on high things and watch people from down below, watch the peasants from down below. So that being said, I think that if she were a human, she would really like Santorini. Mm-hmm. Think about it. They have to stack up things. And she likes to get really tall and high on things, just like the little, the little gods. And also she's mischievous like the gods. If you use the god abilities, every single one of them has this like little mischievous power that they have that can really screw over the other players if you let them, especially like Aphrodite. Aphrodite gets close to you, then whatever one, let's say if Delton had Aphrodite as his god, then if one of my characters got close to him, mine would have to follow her throughout the whole game. So that really screws up my plans. So I think her mischievous personality and the fact that she likes to knock stuff off the counter, so she'd be really good at demolishing the game. I think if she were a human being, that Miss Penny would really like Santorini. I could see that because she is a turd. She does like to get up high on everything, dressers and 
all that good stuff. And she... And knock it down. And knock it down. She could do that when it's over. Yep. It's not a bad one. It's a pretty good one. I would say for Steve... So Steve, he is sometimes a sweet cat, a lot of times an asshole. Uh, He's nice and fluffy and sort of cute, but a lot of times an asshole. And sometimes he likes to lay on your belly and it's really good and warm. But then he's an asshole when you try to get up. So that sums up Steve. He's a... He's an okay cat, I guess. He's orange and white and fluffy and douchey. Anyway, I think Steve would like Rampage. Uh, uh-huh, All Steve uh-huh. likes to do is knock everything around. He gets up on a counter. He'll knock, I mean, Penny knocks stuff off too. But Steve's just so like clumsy as well that he would have the best time knocking buildings over as a dinosaur in Rampage. For those of you who have the newer copy, it's Terror in Meeple City. You're basically a dinosaur terrorizing a city trying to eat meeples which is Steve. He'll find anything he can to eat. He'll knock anything off the counter to play with or eat. And I just think he would like being his destructive self as a human as well. I really think so. I think, honestly, we could probably play that with him as the cat, too. I'm not going to do that. That would be so fun. No, I put too much time putting the stickers on those meeples in that game. So that's the whole point is to destroy it? No, no. Well, not destroy the game, but destroy the structures, and Steve's really good at it. Boo. Well, I think next time we should incorporate Steve, and that should be one of our videos in the Malt House Games video thing. Do some Steve plays a game. Steve uh, plays a game. He's just going to be biting us the whole time we try to do anything. You never know. He, we, just, all we have to do is like move a little something, and his little paw goes whack, and there goes a building. We need to play uh, Flick 'em Up with him. He can be the Cowboys, and we can be the, uh, the Bat. He can be the... What is it? The law men and we can be the, the outlaws? I think so. I think it's what they are. He would destroy me. I'm so bad at that game, my cat would probably destroy me in that game. Most likely. You are terrible at most dexterity games. I'm awful at dexterity games. <laughs> so yeah, I think the cat. So you said Penny with Santorini and Steve with Rampage. I think those are both good choices. Here's a good question. If Steve and Penny sat down to play Mr. Jack, best two out of three. No. Hmm. Yeah, best two out of three. Who do you think would win of the two cats? I think Steve would be too fixated on what he was doing to even pay attention to what Penny was doing. So he would be planning, 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 planning his own moves, and then forget that he's playing with another human cat, human being. And so I think that that would get the best of Steve, and I think that Penny would dominate. It might take Steve four to five times to really click that he has to watch what the other person's doing, not just watch what he's doing. So, best two out of three, Penny would win really quickly. I think that's accurate. She does seem like the smarter, most more intelligent cat. I agree with that. Steve's just dumb. But I also think that Steve wouldn't be afraid to be ruthless if we were to play something with the traitor mechanic. He would be the traitor in Dead of Winter and just annihilate us. All of us. Oh gosh, he would be the dirty Cylon, wouldn't he? He would be the dirty he would Cylon. Pull, he would pull a Zack and be a Cylon. Boo. Never forget. That's so funny. Well... I think that pretty much wraps up this episode. Uh, I feel like it's slightly shorter than the past couple, but that is all right. I also feel like we have a lot of problems, being that we projected our cat's personalities into board games. Well, when you spend every waking moment with those animals. I mean, I didn't do Hershey, though. The little chihuahua. I think he would just hate them all. You don't think he'd be a gamer? No, he's too grumpy. He just wants to sit in my lap. He'd probably like Strike, and that's (laughs) it. Only just one of those old men that just play like, uh, what? Chicken feet. Chicken feet. What the hell is chicken feet? It's a domino game. Okay. Anyway. I was, okay, you gotta <laughs> keep in mind that I was at a senior citizen center every Sunday, or I mean every Wednesday growing up. 
Like that's, they just dropped me off at the senior citizen center with my great grandma and I just hung out with the old ladies. Sounds terrible. Do they have those old lady farts just every time they walk by? No, but my great grandma had uh, dementia. And so she once put a bag of popcorn in the senior citizen center for 90 minutes and the thing caught on fire. So that was fun. That sounds awesome. Was that Gertie? Yeah, it was Gertie. Go grandma Gertie. That's so funny. Oh, gosh. Well, I think that sums up this episode pretty nicely. <laughs> so thank you for listening to episode nine. We are almost to episode 10, which is crazy. Uh, we are recording this on February 18th next week, which will be the 25th. Mm-hmm. So under the 25th, yep. we release episode eight. Then on the 11th, we'll release this episode. Yes, because this is three weeks ahead. We always stay three weeks ahead in terms of editing and stuff. So you'll see this after a little while. We didn't uh, we didn't talk about Valentine's Day or anything. I'll just mention Haley bought me photosynthesis for Valentine's Day. Awesome game. Check it out. Highly recommend it. I destroyed him. And then we made vegan wings and watched Rum Diary, which Haley fell asleep to. Yeah, my favorite movie to fall asleep to. Just like falling asleep to every movie, but that's okay. But when this comes out, I do want to say nobody has sent us any pictures of Brian from episode six. No one has any paint drawings. Looking at you, Allison. So we need those to be emailed to us at some point. Contact at malthousegames.com. M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S. You can check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Malthouse Games. Please like us, share us, rate us on iTunes, and subscribe to our channel on YouTube, which right now just had po- has the podcast episodes, but we'll start getting videos once we get up and going with all of that. You can check me out on Twitter or Facebook at Delton Brack, and you can check Haley out on Twitter at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is Squirrely Geek, and you can find her on Facebook as well. Send us an email. We'd like to hear from you. If you like the show, if you hate the show, what you think we should change or keep. I may not listen to you, but I'd like to have a little bit of feedback here and there. Follow us and let us know what's going on. But until then, just sit back, relax, have a drink, and play some games. We'll see you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye.